Welcome. Thank you for listening to Spiritual Living with author and teacher Francois Feinberg. May the message you're about to hear earnestly touch your heart, and may it encourage you in your ongoing love of God the Father, your enjoyment of the Lord Jesus Christ, and your fellowship in both the Holy Spirit and the body of Christ. As a pastor and as a teacher in the body of Christ, I have the greatest privilege to slow down with young Christians and to teach them the economy of God, the ways of God, life in God, walking with God, hearing God, seeing God, and all of those aspects of the new creation realities in God. It's a tremendous privilege, and I take it very, very seriously. But I have yet to come across a young believer, or an older believer for that matter, that can actually tell me what is the gift of eternal life that God gave them at the time of their new birth in God. The average young believer, and again, the older believer for that matter, They would say, well, God gave me the gift of eternal life. That means one day when I die, I am going to go to heaven. And God's building me a kind of a mansion over there, a kind of a golf course over there. There's no weeds over there. There, There's no sickness. There's no death. So God has given me this inheritance that one day I'm going to live forever. And that's all good, but... That's not really the, the depths of the gift that God gave you. When God gave you eternal life, it, 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 he gave you something way more than longevity of time. When God gave you eternal life, he gave you his own life, his own nature. And I uh, thoroughly enjoy at Legacy School of Discipleship taking the students through an exhaustive study on the life of God. And in our upcoming few messages, I hope you will draw enlightenment and encouragement as we contend that the life that you received at your new birth in God it, it, it's so much more. It's so much richer than just a golf course and some kind of a mansion in the sky. You received, actually, God and His nature Himself the day that you believed. Life is the nature of the entire triune God. Point number one. Life is the central and foremost reality of the nature of God. Life is not something that God does. Life is who God is. And I'm trying to teach you all this principle that peace is not a characteristic, joy is not a characteristic, 
Grace is not a characteristic. We're trying to um, teach us to begin to think along the lines that these things, God is this. He doesn't just exhibit it or give it. He is this nature of life. Point number two. Life is not some aspect or characteristic of some of God. Life is the intrinsic nature of every person in the Godhead. And so you see three bullets now coming up. The nature of God the Father is life. You'll see the second bullet, the nature of God as Christ is life. And you'll see the third little bullet, the nature of God as the Spirit is life. There are a lot of verses that can support how God the Father is life. But I just gave you a few there. If you look there at God as the person of Christ as life, mostly in John's Gospel, you will see how John would constantly attach the word life to Jesus Christ. And with that, I want you to turn to John chapter 1 um, for a quick reference or two. It says, in the beginning was the word, and that Greek word is logos. So in the beginning was the logos, and the logos was with God, and the logos was God. Very mystical. The logos was in the beginning with God. He was in the beginning with God. Verse 3, all things came into being through this Logos, through this Word figure. And apart from Him, this Logos figure, this Word, not one thing came into being which has come into being. So John, a very mystical writer, starts out there in the beginning and he just basically says, this person that I'm about to write has always existed. He was there in the beginning with God. Actually, he is God. And all things came into being because of him. And he will take the rest of his book to describe this magnificent person to us. But initially, John starts extremely mystical. And I'll show you later what is being communicated. It's really intriguing. But then, as he's now beginning to describe this person to you, in verse 4, he'll describe the very first characteristic that he wants you to know about this person. Now, if a Greek person was reading this text, understanding the word logos, the logos is not a biblical word, it's a word from Greek culture. And it, it has a lot of mythology to it. If a Greek person, a Greek Christian, read now those first three verses, he would have expected the following verse to say the following. Not in him was life, but in him was wisdom. Because the Logos is attached to wisdom. Knowledge. I'll explain that later. A Greek person, having read the first three verses, would have expected the next verse to describe this person now as extremely wise. That would be congruent with Greek culture. 
But John does not do that. Of all the characteristics of God and of all the many things that God can do, he pulls out one particular aspect of God. Not wisdom, Sophia, but Zoe. And he contradicts what you might think is about to happen. So in describing now this person, he says in verse 4, In him was life. He should not have written that. He should have rather said, in him was wisdom. That would have gone with the phrase logos. Because the Greeks had believed there was this mystical God, and they called him logos. That has always been, and from that mystical God, logos, comes Sophia. It's pure Greek culture. John will take that culture and say, no, what you describe as having always existed, let me tell you who he is. He's Jesus, the Son of God. He takes their cultural, mystical um, confusion and he tells them, hey, let me tell you really what's going on. Jesus is the one who's always existed. Can you follow with me? But a Greek person would then think, oh, this Jesus then, wow, he's probably going to be some sage, some wise figure. And John says, "Uh uh-uh, let me tell you what's really in this man more than anything else. And you'll see John's gospel will pull this thread out of God more than any other thread. The Greeks would want this God to be, let's say, wise. And John is like, no, 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 no. He's more than wisdom. He is life. And his whole gospel will then unpack this nature of God as life. Because it's, it's the greatest thing that you need. You don't need wisdom. You really need life. Adam and Eve thought that the tree of the knowledge of good and evil would give them this wisdom to know what God knows and to know it. That's, that's what man is after. That's what the Greek man is after. The Greek man wants understanding and knowledge and knowing. Here comes John's gospel. He turns the whole thing upside down and says, no, you don't really need knowledge. What you need is life. And the Greek word there is the word zoe. And he will go on and explain through his whole gospel what this Zoe even is. So listen carefully. In the book of Genesis, we have two trees. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The tree of life. Genesis does not tell us what that life tree is all about. Genesis is very vague. Genesis just sows the seed of what's to come. Genesis is minuscule. It's elementary. It's introductory. And then there's this tree. What is that tree? Can I tell you, John's gospel unpacks Genesis 2 for you. John's gospel will give you definition what that tree was. That tree that the man was really supposed to eat, that would fill him with Zoe, God, divine life, It's not fully explained in Genesis what that tree will do for you. I believe John's gospel will give you now the definition and explanation. What does life can do for you? And this life is nobody else but the Father, the Son, and the Spirit Himself. Now I want you to notice one more thing here. Look at uh, verse 4. It's quite marvelous how this is written down for those who have eyes to see. Here we have, in biblical studies, a phrase 
that we say is a cause and effect relationship. And in verse 4, you see this cause and effect relationship. Okay? It says, in him was life. That's the cause. Look up here, everybody. In him was life. But the next statement is the effect that this life will have. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. Now wisdom is coming in. Seeing is coming in. Let me explain. When Christ comes into you as life, that life will begin to work in you, revelation, so you see. Remember we have a spoke called revelation? Right, we'll get to that a little bit later. But how do you get revelation? The life is the light. The Greek would say no teaching is the light. The Greek would say no scholarliness is the light. Wisdom, being a sage, is the light. Philosophy is the light. John says no, no, no. The life of this person is going to make you see. So that's why we would say to people in the Christian spiritual life, it is the nature of God that you host, that you fellowship with, that you flow in that nature, and that nature of God will make you see. The more you fellowship in the life of God, the more you'll see the things of God. If you just Google the things of God, you'll never see. You cannot go after seeing. You have to receive life. That's why we would make this statement then. Your greatest need in the Christian life is life. From the life hub will come all the spokes of your Christian life. Life comes first. And as you have life, you have light. So we say life is the cause. Light is the effect. You cannot walk a proper Christian life free from stumbling if you don't host God's life in you. So the power to walk the straight and the narrow, the power to live as an overcomer, the power to see and understand, that comes from God's nature in you that gives you that ability. Can you all follow with me? I have another verse here, Psalms 36 and verse 9. I want somebody to read that for me, please. Notice the cadence there. What comes first? Notice it. For with you is the fountain of? Circle that. That's always first. And notice how light is a byproduct of life. Which came first? The life nature in you or your eyes? Life came first, and then life produced eyeballs for you. Amen. So some, it's the same in the Christian life. Learn to live with God. Learn to absorb God's nature. Learn to even identify how that is and where that is, and watch how God will teach you. But Colossians chapter 3, please. I want to start at verse 1. If therefore 
You were raised together with Christ. I love the past tense there. You were raised with Christ. Therefore, seek the things which are above. This is a cause and effect relationship again. The truth is, you were raised with Christ to the heavenlies. When He rose from the grave, Paul would teach you, you rose from the grave. In God's economy, that is a fact. That's the cause. That's the truth. Now Paul says, your life then need to be affected by that truth. Therefore, seek the things of God. So seek the things which are above where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Ladies and gentlemen, notice it says, seek the things that are above where Christ is. How many Christians do you know that are Christ in the heaven seekers? That seek His majesty, seek His lordship, His kingship, His accomplishment. How many Christians are fixated on the person of Jesus Christ that you know? We're fixating on what? Rabbit trails, even good rabbit trails. So Paul says here, you supposedly died with Christ. You don't have a life anymore. Then you were resurrected in His resurrection and you were ascended with Him to the heavenlies. You're a heavenly person. Now Paul then invites you, go ahead and seek that identity. Seek that truth of your heavenly place with Christ. Set your mind therefore where Christ is, who He is, the person that He is. And if you become a Christ seeker, even the heavenly Christ seeker, most of us want a Jesus in a crib somewhere in Bethlehem seeker. Okay, how's that going for you? Paul says, no, become a heavenly seeker. The, the, seek the ascended one, the glorious one. So you can see from Paul's letters, and we will cover it real in depth in time. This man had a Christological uh, theology. His whole life was about seeking the Son of God. So he, he admonishes us in verse 1. If you go to verse 2, he says, Set your mind on the things which are above. Not only seek the things, but set your mind on the things which are above, not on the things which are on this earth. And then he explains why again. He's asking you to, to be heavenly minded and he explains in verse 3, for you died. You're dead. The old you, uh, he would say in Romans 6, the old man is dead. You died and your life is hidden with Christ, in God. So very mystical again. But um, here he's giving us a definition of the normal Christian life. Most of us as Christians, we tell people, if you were to die today, would you go to heaven or hell? We've made salvation an issue of places. A hot place and an air-conditioned place. Okay? And so that's just how the natural man thinks. I'd rather prefer air conditioning. I live in Alabama. I have enough hell. I want air conditioning. Okay? 
And that's just how we think. But the, tr the Bible doesn't teach that we're going to heaven. Our real ending place is we go to God the Father. But how will I lodge in God the Father? By Christ scooping me up in His resurrection, ascending me and sneaking me back through the gate into the garden of Almighty God's person. My end goal as a person is God Himself, not a mansion, not a house. And oh, by the way, when you and I say, are you going to heaven? Your theology is still a little out of whack. Do you know that heaven's coming down to this earth? There will be a recreated earth. And I don't fully understand why, but in God's eternal economy, He is married to this little earth. All of you want to escape this earth and you want to go to heaven. Guess what? It's coming down here. And the supernatural and the natural in time will merge. I don't understand how. But forever, God's economy is tied to this planet. So even if we ask, does the Bible not say the meek will inherit the earth? Okay, I think I've made my point. We're all looking for an escape bus and God is like, would somebody just please stay on this planet and represent me till I come and recreate it? Can there be an occupying force until I overhaul the whole thing? It's called extreme makeover. So back to Colossians. We are in Christ. We are in God. We are people, then we say, we are born from God, right? We're the heavenly people. Now, all of us, we get hung up on denominations and movements when really we are of God. In, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30, I believe Paul would say, of God you are in Christ. We are of God. When folk ask you, what kind of a Christian are you? You should not say this or that. I'm of Peter. I'm of Paul. I'm of... You should say, I am of God. Then folk would say, well, what church do you go to? I, I go to the heavenly one. I'm in Christ and I'm in God, my Father. You start talking like this, folk will crucify you quickly. I suppose that's why they crucified these folk in the first century. It's a little mystical, but okay, this is the truth. I've not gotten to my point yet. Follow with me, please. Verse 3. You died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Then look at the glorious verse 4. When Christ, our life is manifested. Notice that phrase. When Christ, our life. Not Christ who gives me life. Not Christ that one day is going to take me to eternal life. But he's saying Christ, the living person. He is my nature. He is. It's a possessive language here. Christ who is my life. The previous verse he said, I died. It's not me. In Galatians 2, he would say, I've been crucified. It's no longer I who? But it is? Now here he describes Christ not as an addition to his life. He describes Christ as his life. I am hidden in him. So therefore, he lives through me, the vessel. 
And he describes here, Christ is life to me. And that's what the point I want to get across. The Father is life. Christ doesn't just give life. He is, His very nature is life to you. And you get to possess Him. So in Christ, who is my life, is manifested, and I will also be manifested with Him in glory. Now Christ is giving you His life. And that life, His very nature, is working in you the manifestation of His glory. It's the same story all over again. God needs a man. He needs to give this man life. Why? So that man can manifest God. Here He says exactly the same thing. Christ is giving me His very own life. He is life in me. So that in time I will be manifested as a glorious person. So how will you get back to the fallen glory? Christ who is life to you. Not me who roll up my sleeve. Christ who is becoming my very being. Life is not just something we get from God and then we try to figure. Life is like God totally consuming my being. So that in Him I live and move and have my... When was the last time you said, Christ is my life? In Philippians 1 verse 21, he would say something really strange. For to me, life is Christ. And to die. Most of us, including me, Christ is just an add-on to my plans and my purposes. Christ is an add-on to my, let's say, religious tendencies. Paul here, the one with the most religious tendencies, it, he, he died to all of it and Christ became his magnificent obsession. Christ became his very constituency, his very being, his substance. Yet he was fully a man. This is, the, this is the kicker. He stayed a vessel of clay. But the fuel in the tank was a supernatural, divine God climbing into skin. Just like Moses' bush. God in His fire climbing into that bush, lighting that thing up without consuming the bush. You and I are that bush. God's nature climbs into me and yet He does not consume me. Talk about mercy. But now you would be saying, Francois, when God gave Himself to me, what did I then get? Aha, that's the next page. Flip the page. Thank you for asking. I anticipated that question, so I went ahead and gave you the answer. Trying to be a good preacher here, so I gave you some bubbles. I see what the others do, and I see the people, they love bubbles, so I decided, you know what? If you can't beat them, join them. <laughs> so here's your few bubbles. Try to get you out of your bubble as I'm giving you bubbles. All right, hey, contend with me for just a minute. Paul said, Christ is my life. He who has the Son 
has life. 1 John 5, verse 12. So we got life. Again, in my fallen, old, stinking thinking, I think God gave me a gift to live a long time over there. That's mostly how I think. It's the gift of eternal life. And so, yippee, here, I'm going to live forever. And that scares a lot of people because they're like, what are we going to do? Because they have the concept of time, and the word eternal then speaks of really long time, unending time, and it, it becomes overwhelming for a lot of us. Well, God gave you more than a duration in time. God gave you His nature. And there are the bubbles. He gave you His nature. The N describes an aspect of this nature. And so this um, acrostic here will describe some of what you received from God. So let me go through it. First of all, the nature that you received, bubble number one, is a non-human nature. It's non-human. Look on the right hand. God is spirit. And those who worship Him must worship Him in. But notice there, God is? God is spiritual. God is an invisible being. God is an otherworldly being. God is a supernatural being. So when He gives you this life, and He gives you this nature, then what is, is given to your being is a non-earthy, non-human life. It's, it's not bound to time. It's super and above the natural. So it's non-human. Can you follow with me? Okay, it's just one characteristic. So, hey, let's put it in another way. You are carrying an otherworldly life nature inside of your being. Are you aware of the fact that you're carrying an alien, a foreign life, nature inside of your being. I'll edit that out of the recording, so lest, <laughs> lest it's taken out of context. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> but it's, it boggles my mind when God, who is spirit, climbed into your being. You, you became a recipient of a, a, a non-terraphermic reality another life form, a spiritual form of life. God's life came into your being. So therefore, your Christian life then has to match the realm from which you received. I received life from my human parents, and so my life begins to match my human parents. But when I receive the life of God, then my life has to begin to match the realm from which I received. I have to begin to become a godly person. I can't be a Christian and forever stay a baby and forever under the power of sin and forever just a drifter. And Can you follow with me? Yeah. 
I've been given an, another nature from a higher realm, so to speak. So obviously my life is going to slowly begin to flex, reflect that realm. Amen. Okay, number two. This is my favorite one besides the first one. What did you get the day that God saved you? What did you get the day that God climbed into? What is his nature? Okay, it's life. But what is that Zoe life? It's an all-inclusive life. It's like a resort. You'll see when you go on your honeymoon, men. It's awesome. You check into this resort. And it's all-inclusive. You don't have to pay for a thing. You just eat, swim, go, come. And you know, it's all inclusive. <laughs> so, <laughs> this is God. God's like the ultimate resort. <laughs> the day that God brought you into His kingdom, into His garden, we might say, into His person, of His fullness, you receive grace upon grace. So God will give you everything that you need for life and godliness. It's all inclusive. You just have to ask, learn to by faith obey. There is a little bit of a protocol for that all inclusive. You got to go to the restaurant and eat. Yeah, you've got to participate with the all inclusive restaurant. Okay, but in the end, you step forward and eat. So it's the same. Most of us have a poverty mentality in God. That is, prayer is an attempt to wring out of God something that He's reluctant to give me. That's how I treat prayer. Oh God, if it be your will, and if I do A, B, and C, will you pick up the slack? And I bargain with God because I have a mentality that God is... He's lacking. But the Bible says in, in, in John, of His fullness. Of His fullness. That is, it's all-inclusive. That's what you received. That's kind of good news. You can't live the Christian life. He lives it in you and He has all the supply. Number three, my real favorite one here. <laughs> It goes a little bit with number one, but I, I just had to put it in for repetition. The T. The life that you received is a transcendent life. Transcendent. It has to transcend uh, earth, time, culture. When God gave you His nature, it's, it's not common. It's, it transcends human wisdom transcends education. It transcends your flesh. It, it, it's above. That's why God would speak in John 3, if you're born from above. We would say if you're born again, but the actual word is you're born from above. I'll show you that at another time. It's from above. It's transcendent. Therefore, Christians cannot live a common life. We have to live a transcendent life. Now, we're not invincible, but my mind transcends time and space. 
The wisdom God has to give us has to transcend time and space and culture and the Google. If your walk with God does not reflect an above transcendent walk with God, but it reflects a common cultural religionist walk, then why bother? Let's just become atheist and go join Buddha. This life you were given is transcendent. Number four, this is my favorite. This life is unchanging and uncreated. There's two U's for you there. Just because I could. This life is unchanging. And I have a verse for you there. He's the unchanging God from the book of Isaiah 41. So most of you, oh, it's pitiful. It's just pitiful. We treat God like some capricious Casual, flippant, one day he's got a good mood, the next day he is ticked. <laughs> one day he's willing, the next day he is stingy. The one day he supplies me with grace, the next day he's like, earn it. And, and we <laughs> have a mindset that God flips a coin. Today I'm going to talk to my son. That's it. Tomorrow, you're out. He changes and he vacillates. And the Bible is very clear. There's no shadow of turning with God. He's the same. So when He gives you the life, He gave the same life to Peter. The same life to James and John. And the Apostle Paul. You have the same life. If you say that Jesus is the Christ, then the Spirit has baptized you in the same life-giving nature I have, you have. Well, I'm just not a special Christian. I'm kind of class B. Grade B, and those, those guys or those you know, people, they're A grade. It's not true. There's not the inferior and the inferior. There's just one Christian life, the normal Christian life. And most of you, when you uh, share your testimony, it's like this. Well, I was born, that was kind of a highlight of my life. <laughs> then, you know, I messed up in my diaper. That was a low point in life. And then I learned to walk and crawl, and that was kind of like a high point in life. And then I started pushing teeth, and, or cutting teeth, and that was a low point. And then, you know, I had my triaxle bicycle. It was a high point in life. And then I crashed and burned when they took the, the, uh, the guard wheels off. And then I met God and then my girlfriend broke up with me and it sucked. And then I went to camp and you should see. In the first years of Legacy, we did this thing. I told everybody, come and uh, here's a whiteboard. Come tell us your life story. And everyone did it. We filmed it. And we let all them tell this capricious Whimsical God story. It had no power in it. All from the flesh. Feelings. I don't feel God. Oh yeah, I feel God. The music was great. This roller coaster. We filmed it all. And then I taught them that in God you received a nature that doesn't diminish. It, it's not a, it, it doesn't increase. It doesn't, it's just normal. You received this nature. Then I showed them this video. And we had a cry fest. My earliest classes, they crawled all over the floor. Oh, God, we're so sorry. Oh, Jesus. Because I showed them how buffoonish we are. 
this mystical um, way we're describing God, it became reality for the first century people. It will for you too. Amen. It's not going to forever stay a theory. When I say the Christian life is a normal, beautiful, strong life, it, I don't mean it has no problems or difficulties. We have all of those. But this life overcomes all of that. And, and I'm telling you, we get the same Holy Spirit, the same Jesus, the same life nature the Apostle Paul got. Wow. Oh, glory. My favorite one is obviously the next one. <laughs> this life is non-human. It's all-inclusive. It transcends. It's unchanging and uncreated. And then my favorite one, pray tell, who knows what the R might even stand for? Reality. Most of us treat the life God gave me, the gift of salvation, we might say, God's nature, it forever stays mystical. Now I confess it starts off mystical. The things of God are mystical. They're tough to explain. But this is the work of the Holy Spirit, is to realize the things of God in us so that the life of God is not a subject anymore. It is your life. Christ who is my life. I am the way, the reality, and the life, Jesus would say from a better translation. And lastly, this life obviously is eternal and everlasting and enduring. Obviously. What God gave you is not going to stop. There is longevity to it for sure. 